I've been asked to speak about uh, fellowship, which is one of the, uh, in, in the Becoming series, is one of the topics, one of the things. And fellowship is like the glue that holds us together. Um, and I want to look at uh, what fellowship is and uh, why we need it and the benefits. Um, and um, first of all, well, I look at the technical stuff. Let's see if I can get this working. I used to use this when I uh, had a job. Um, oh, yes. Thank goodness. Right. Um, but I haven't used it for a long time. So, um, in the New Testament, the word for fellowship is koinonia. So, so sorry to start with Greek. I mean, it's, it's the way it is. Um, and it's found about 19 times in the New Testament. And it's translated mainly as fellowship, but in some cases, it's we see it's translated as communion or contribution or sharing or participation, and it has that sense of the common bond that w we have between believers. Um, it has the idea of giving. It has the idea of sharing. It has the idea of actively participating with each other in relationships. And of course, it comes from our relationship with Jesus, because that's, that's the start and the end of fellowship, if you like. Um, in 1 John 1 7, I haven't got it up there, but it, uh, 1 John 1 7 says, But if we, walk, uh, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's the start of our lives to Jesus. And because we know Jesus, we can have fellowship with each other. And uh, one of the problems with the word fellowship is it's one of these churchy words, isn't it? It's one of these things where, you know, you don't go around talking about fellowship unless it's to do with the church. And there's other words we could, we could use for fellowship, and uh, Christian community is one, because that's what fellowship really is. It's bringing Jesus uh, into the community. Or doing church together is one that we've heard before. And um, it's more than just friendship. I mean, if you want friendship, you can go to a club or a, a society, whatever it is, or meet people. Um, but fellowship is friendship with Jesus in the middle. And uh, we have to have a connection with God. And through that connection, through our spirit, we have that spirit-spirit connection to people. It's a bit like, I suppose, uh, spiritual Wi-Fi. We have that connection through Jesus. And there's a verse in Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, and it's talking about uh, fellowship. And it says, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And it's beginning to point towards one of the benefits of uh, being together, uh, protection. And it's interesting because it talks about a threefold cord after talking about two people standing together. And that's often taken... The third strand, if you like, or the important strand that binds together is Jesus. He's the one. The reason that we can have fellowship is because of Jesus. So, um, I want to look at uh, what the Bible says about fellowship, and uh, particularly in the New Testament. Um, one of the reasons we need fellowship, and it's been a theme throughout the Bible in, uh, in Genesis uh, God said, it's not good that man should be alone. And from the very beginning, uh, God has made it possible for 
people to get together to support um, other Christians, other people uh, that are, that are um, interested in God. And it's an important thing. And if we look at Acts chapter 2, yes, it's working, good, great. If we look at Acts chapter 2, um, it talks about, this, this is the first uh, reference to fellowship in the New Testament, to koinonia. And just want to say that uh, uh, last, last term before Christmas, I was involved in the life group with Alan Grant and uh, Malcolm McDowell, and I thank them for their uh, insights and contributions. And there are a few uh, things in here where, we've, where I mention acts, and, and really I was, I was greatly helped by their insights and the fellowship we had together. So um, Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And this was set at the time of Pentecost when uh, God was starting the church. And, of course, what he did was he um, started off with using the jump leads. He had a massive dose of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. And the, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And, and then there were four things that they did in order to get the church started. Getting a church started is not an easy thing. And here are the four things that they were involved in. And there was the apostles' teaching, there was the breaking of bread, there was the prayers, but there was fellowship. And I was starting to say the fellowship is the glue that binds us together. And uh, um, if we look at um, the benefits of why this is, this is true, we're going to have a look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 to 25. Um, and this is a key verse and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of son, some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The church is a family. We need each other. And in a sense, when God moves uh, in our lives, very often he moves through people. We are the, his hands, his feet, his ears, his eyes, we become uh, God to people. Not that we are anything special, but Jesus can, can move through us to touch other people. Um, if we look at uh, hard times, many of us have gone through hard times, difficult times, difficult circumstances. I mean, Linda and I have gone through various, various difficult circumstances, and we thank God for the fellowship and the encouragement that we've had to get us through. Um, a couple of years ago, I was treated for prostate cancer, and uh, I thank God for the prayer that I got. I thank God for the encouragement that people gave me. Uh, people that maybe had been through similar circumstances could give me that encouragement and say, God is here. He's in control. And, uh, you know, in God's economy, if you've been through a difficult time, then he can use you to help someone else. He can use you to give them support through the difficult times that they have. Just a minute. And all of us are going through journeys of faith. And we need encouragement sometimes because sometimes you just hit the buffers and you, you find that it's difficult to go on 
And this is where fellowship kicks in because often people, if you're in fellowship, if you're meeting with people, they recognize there's something wrong. They recognize there's some problem that you've got and they're there to step in and to support you practically, spiritually, whatever. Um, if you have got a difficult decision to make uh, and you need guidance, obviously you ask God, but very often you can get good advice from brothers and sisters, people that have gone through similar circumstances that know uh, who you are and know God and can bring his light into your circumstances. Or just affirmation of who we are, who God has called us to. Uh, it's important that we understand who we are and it's that we understand who we are in the church and what our, what our roles are and what he's brought us here to do. We've grown up with a myth on television or on cinema of the strong, independent superhero that can do everything on their own and uh, um, don't need anyone else's help. Now, for me, it's Clint Eastwood. <laughs> but that dates me a bit. <laughs> or Bruce Willis, or you put the name in of the person that you, whose films you've seen that is like that. Uh, God said, remember, it's not good for a man to be alone. It's not natural, um, and it's not healthy. Sometimes it can be difficult for us to be in fellowship because we're private people. I know I am. I have found it difficult sometimes to open up to how I feel, not just because I'm a man, but just because um, it's my personality. I'm a sort of, uh, it's the way I've been brought up, perhaps. And yet we need to be able to share with people how we feel, what our problems are. And, uh, you, know, you know, when we have fellowship with people, we build trust. We build trust in our relationships. We build, um, we build trust uh, when we meet with people and we realize that uh, they can help us towards moving forward on our journeys. So where do we have fellowship? Well, we have fellowship here in church, but we also have fellowship in life groups, in small groups, in meetings, on Friday church or whatever, whatever it is. There's all sorts of opportunities to have fellowship, to even meet together for a coffee and talk to people. And you know, I've always found that if there's something I really want to do, I make time for it. And if there's something I don't want to do, I can find the best excuses not to do it. May God give us grace to change our priorities and see what his priorities are. Um, and another thing about having fellowship together is, and I want to um, better, better move to the next slide. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And fellowship is really showing the love of Jesus to each other. And if we're going to ask people from outside the church to come in um, and come to know Jesus, then if we're not demonstrating what his love is, then they're going to think we're just phony. So love in the church is an expression not just of of love to each other, but it's an expression of Jesus, and it's an expression of what God wants to do uh, in our lives. And other people can see it. 
True fellowship is that expression of Christ's love to other Christians. It's part of our witness to the world. It's also, a fellowship is also part of our spiritual protection. If we have a look at that verse, uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 5 and verse 8 to 9, it says, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And I've watched a number of wildlife programs about lions. And, uh, you know, lions, uh, their great thing is they need to eat. They have to eat so many pounds of meat every uh, day just to keep going. And they love to eat other animals by separating them from the herd and then killing them and feasting. And it's interesting because having watched various programs, you learn all sorts of things you never realized that uh, lions don't like attacking giraffes. You think giraffes look fairly uh, docile creatures. Apparently, uh, giraffes can kick lions to death. So they have to be very careful how they approach other animals. And very often they do it uh, by stealth, um, but they can do it in packs and pull down animals that they isolate from the herd. And it's true in the Christian sense. The enemy wants to isolate us from other people because then he uses his uh, very common tactics, which are division, discouragement, and condemnation. So this is why we need to be getting in there, getting into a church. We've, Linda and I have been in four different churches since we got married. Um, we got married 41 years ago, so it's been a while. Um, and, uh, but we still love each other. <laughs> and one of the most important things I realized that when we want to move church is the worst thing to do is to stop going anywhere because you need to have that spiritual covering of God's people um, at all times. And therefore, we made very sure that if we were stopping to go into one church, we would then make sure that we got straight into another one and then got stuck in. And, and because it's not just a question of attending a church, but you want to get involved in the church. Involvement is the key. Participation is the thing. Um, and uh, it's very difficult when you step out of church to come back in because you know when you the longer you're out of a church the more you get these things in your in your head saying i can't go back um it'd be uh, what, what do people think of me you get the condemnation the discouragement coming in and it's so difficult to walk back in the door again so let us make sure that we um as we heard earlier that we're not people that um, neglect to meet together Another aspect of fellowship is what God's doing in the church in us. And I want to look at this because together we are church and fellowship is a means, it's the means of building church. And I want to start with talking about football. Now, I had a look and I couldn't find football anywhere in the Bible. <laughs> but, and I'm aware of this, so. But uh, I want to start talking about being a football supporter. And like many people, I'm a football supporter. I support two different football clubs. And did I hear something yawning at the back? Yes. And uh, 
I support, <coughs> I support a big English club and I support a small Scottish club. And the Scottish club I support is Forfa Athletic. And uh, not many people are aware of Forfa Athletic unless they remember um, Eric Morecambe, who made it famous with the tongue twister football result, East 5 4, 4 for 5. <laughs> and it was a result that almost came true last year because East Fife were playing Forfa in the Scottish Cup and in, uh, they were one all at, extra, um, uh, at the end and there was no more goals scored and they had a penalty shootout and it ended up 4-5. So <laughs> Forfa has always been a big family connection for me. My mum was born near there. Um, six of her 11 brothers and sisters lived in Forfa and uh, um, when... Uh, my parents retired, they moved back to Scotland, and mum lived in Forfa for 30 years, so we used to visit all the time. And uh, I took my two sons to watch Forfa Athletic, which is a lower league team. It may not be the best football, but it was the only one around. Um, and uh, things you don't know about Forfa, their uh, nickname is the Loons. A strange name. It doesn't imply mental instability, um, but <laughs> if, if if you're a, a teenager in that area, you're either a loon or a quine. The loons are the lads and the quines are the lasses. So the, the loons means the lads. And uh, <coughs> the thing about being a football supporter, though, is that you're a spectator. You're not doing it, you're just watching it. And uh, you're not actually taking part, uh, you're watching from a distance. But nevertheless, you consider yourself expert and you may, may feel free to offer constructive criticism <laughs> about the players particularly the other team but sometimes even your own and you show special concern for the health of the referee and the match officials uh, particularly about the state of their eyesight or and you, you will off, offer to help them with their grasp of the rules <laughs> basically you give frank views about just about anything. And, you know, uh, in the church, it's not like that. It's different. In the church, everyone is a player or should be a player, has an opportunity to be a player. And nobody needs to be a spectator. There's a role for everyone. And um, it's the only way that the church could be successful. If we have fellowship with each other, find out who we are in the church, find out our positions. Um, we train together, we have fellowship together, um, we uh, learn the team tactics, the spiritual 442, and we have to be prepared for God's squad rotation system when sometimes <laughs> some people are at the front and others at the back and then he swaps them around. Now, Bible doesn't mention any of this, but it does mention, uh, and I'll put onto the slide, Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, it's talking about the pictures of the church. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes bodily growth so that it builds itself up in love. <coughs> and 
instead of using the football team metaphor, it's using uh, the body. And we are uh, parts of the body, and when we get it together right, then things happen. We grow. top on this, which is a bit difficult. <coughs> now, <coughs> I became a Christian many years ago in Bristol when I was a student. That's where I met Linda, and we went to a great evangelical spirit-filled church in Bristol. <coughs> and it was a Church of England church called the Church of St. Philip and St. Jacob. Only no one called it that. It was known as Pip and Jays. <coughs> and the minister was the Reverend Malcolm Whittacombe. And uh, he was a character. Um, he was the elder brother of the rather more well-known Anne Whittacombe, known for being dragged around the dance floor on Strictly Come Dancing. And I was saying that Malcolm was a character. Um, I think the name Malcolm must be, be the key. Um, <laughs> <coughs> and in Malcolm's sermons, you'd hear some of his well-known phrases. And he had a load of well-known phrases which he, he repeated and which were in your face and trying to wake you up. And w one of the ones I always remembered was he said, in the church, there are two types of pillars. There are the pillars that hold the church up and the caterpillars that just crawl in and out. <laughs> and... Spit in your face, uh, but you get the idea. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being a visitor, but you can't always be a visitor. You can't always be a spectator. Um, we, ha we are participants. We are players. And whichever church God's put us in, we need to find out what we're doing and who we are. We need to get stuck in. And there's plenty of things to get stuck into in this church. That's what I love about it. And fellowship is not just about making friends and feeling comfortable. It's nice that you have friends in the church. It's nice that you feel comfortable in the church. But it's about doing God's kingdom, doing what he wants you to do. And, you know, it's possible to come to a church and to feel comfortable. But the question is, are we actually doing the thing that God has brought us here for? And the, one of the points of fellowship is that there is a common purpose that you have agreed together to do something together. Um, we've been in uh, the church for uh, four years, as my pastor um, knew exactly. It was almost four years to the day. Um, and if I'm being honest, in our last church, we ended up spiritually treading water. We were in the doldrums spiritually, and we didn't seem to be growing. And coming here has given us new opportunities, a new vision, new fellowship, new challenges. And the other picture the Bible uses for church is as living stones. And you see it there, 1 Peter 2, 4 to 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. <coughs> and... Uh, 
one of my interests uh, is family history. I'm very interested in spent some time looking at my family history. And I found out that my great, 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 great grandfather, David Young, was a stone diker. And the job of the stone diker was to build dry stone walls. And he was employed um, on farms in Bampshire, which is in the northeast of Scotland, in the 1770s. And um, when I looked into what dry stone wall building was about, it's about selecting appropriately shaped stones, fitting them together, interlocking, um, and they stand to be able to provide field boundaries. And they have no um, cement or mortar to keep them together. It's the interlocking and the shape, as well as the pressure, uh, the gravity on them, that keeps them together. And it's a bit like doing a three-dimensional jigsaw puzzle. And we are those pieces, and God takes us in whatever odd shapes we think we look like, he takes those shapes and he puts us in the position where we can be effective. So if you think that you don't fit anywhere, let God fit you into the place that he has for you. So there's also challenges in fellowship. And uh, in the New Testament, we've got a lot of Paul's teachings which tell us when things go wrong. And it helps us to see how things should be done right. And um, Ephesians 4, or 1 to 3 says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit uh, in the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit, of, of unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It says there, um, clearly I've gone mad, but... Uh, we put it in twice. Maybe I'm emphasizing it. Who knows? <coughs> um, and the sharp end of Christian fellowship is when things go wrong. I mean, we are flawed human beings. Uh, um, we are saved by grace. We're not perfect people. We, are, we have shortcomings. We have weaknesses. But God's forgiven us. But sometimes we need to realize that when someone does something that hurts you, that offends you, it says there, we need to bear with one another in love. We need to forgive them. And that's a hard thing because when someone's done something against you, you know, you're obsessed with, you need to say sorry, uh, it's not right. Uh, you're, you, you can get obsessed with your rights. And yet, bearing with one another in love it's not about our rights, but it's about what God wants to do in the situation. Are we prepared to give up our rights? Or how do we resolve a disagreement? It's very easy to uh, disagree on how we should do things. And uh, the, the natural way is to fall out. <laughs> and uh, um, relationships break down. And yet... It talks about maintaining the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And that means, can we disagree on that subject, but still maintain fellowship, still show love, still be part of a relationship? Philippians 2 and 3 says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's a big one. Are we happy to see someone succeed instead of us? And 
if we have a look in Acts, I'm not going to look at the, chap, uh, the verses, but in cha Acts chapter 9, it's the story of where Paul, Paul is taken by Barnabas, uh, taken aside and encouraged. And Paul had just become a Christian, and um, Barnabas was the leader there, and Paul was the follower, the one he was helping. And then a few years later, um, it's in Acts chapter 13 onwards, uh, Paul spent some time uh, learning from God uh, in prayer, uh, meditation, um, looking at the scripture, and he comes back uh, as a different person. And he and Barnabas get sent out, and suddenly it's not Paul and uh, it's not Barnabas and Paul anymore, but it's Paul and Barnabas. And uh, you know how how is Barnabas going to take it? Because Paul's the number one and Barnabas is the number two. So Barnabas obviously has been a victim of God's squad rotation system because Paul's now the main striker. He's wearing the captain's armband and Barnabas is playing somewhere at the back. Uh, now, it wasn't a problem to Barnabas. His, he was given the name Barnabas because his name meant son of encouragement. In other words, his particular ministry was to see people brought from nothing to something. So it didn't cause him problems. But what happens when we see someone else getting, uh, I suppose, brought up maybe in front of people uh, or doing something that we thought we should be doing? It's a big thing. And uh, we need to count others as more significant than ourselves. That takes Jesus to do that. And then finally, Finally, Ephesians 4, verse 15 to 16, it's a bit we looked at earlier, but I want to highlight that particular uh, verse. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And sometimes speaking the truth in love can mean saying something fairly direct to people. Um, we see this in Galatians 2, when Paul had to call out, Peter for hypocrisy <laughs> and it wouldn't be something you want to do uh, easily and it had to be done in love and it had to be done openly because that's what it means you're doing it openly you're not talking behind someone's back when you don't like what they're doing you are very direct you come to them and you say look there's a problem here and it's finished then and everyone can see it and you can move on and it doesn't just cover situations when you have to put people right but speaking the truth in love is all about do we care enough to be able to speak God's word into other people's lives. That's what speaking the truth in love is about. Do we care enough that we want to ask God to show us how we can build people up? Because if we're going to see a strong body, then we have to care for each other and to make sure that uh, it's growing, that it's, uh, we have to make sure that other people are in their places as well as us. It's not just a uh, a, a game about me, it's a team game. Where we, where it, the body only grows when we all grow together. So to finish off with uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, we looked at it earlier, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider, let's think what we can do. Let's think what opportunities God gives us to have fellowship. 
and to stir each one another up, to encourage each other. Okay, I'll finish there. Thanks.